Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Great ideas come from the unconscious, but your unconscious has to be well-informed. So stuff your unconscious mind with information and then unhook your rational thought process. In other words, stuff your brain with info and then your brain will chew on it and find patterns and make connections and all your aha moments, all your cool ideas, they happen and they feel like they just come out of nowhere, but really they came because you stuffed your brain with information. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have Paxton Gray on the podcast. Super excited to chat. He has some interesting takes on how marketers should do marketing, and I'm excited to dive in. What's up, Paxton? Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the show. I want to start off and let everybody know, how did you get into marketing? Yeah, so I've been wanting to make commercials since I was a little kid. Uh, Super Bowl was uh, one of my favorite family activities watching that. And uh, I always wanted to make the commercials. And so I studied advertising. My plan was to work for a big, sexy ad agency in New York. Uh, But I got married to a girl who she wants to live on a farm with horses and cows, uh, not be around in a big city with uh, buses and taxis. So so I started looking around and and uh, I found, I started working for an agency, a different agency back in 2007 that built and hosted websites. And uh, I did tech support for them. And then they always asked like, okay, I have a site now, what do I do with it? And so I started consulting them on SEO and kind of got into the digital marketing side. And then from there I learned, you know, this is going to be big. Back in 2007, it was not big. No one, no one was doing SEO social media wasn't a thing, but I, I like, this is where it's going. So I decided to shift my career away from traditional advertising into uh, digital marketing. And then, uh, I started here at nice and floor 11 years ago, and I've been here ever since. This is like set the store, the background story on like what you think great marketing is and then where most people go wrong when it comes to marketing. Yeah, so at Nice and Floor, we uh, believe that great marketing has three elements, and we call it PIE, so P-I-E. First, it must be profitable, it must be innovative, and it must be empathetic. So it really kind of works backwards. A great marketing campaign begins with developing just like unmatched empathy for your audience, so understanding them who they are, but understanding them beyond just potential buyers of your product. Uh, We liked in marketing to just look at them as targets and we put down their demographics and psychographics, but it's all in the context of how they relate to us and how they relate to our product as buyers. We should go deeper than that and broader than that. And if we do, we start to find patterns as we do our research and those patterns allow us to innovate. So innovating doesn't necessarily mean big and sexy campaigns. Uh, it can mean that, but what it means is something new. It's something your audience hasn't seen before. They haven't experienced before. So that can be borrowed from other industries, but it's something new for that audience. Um, we get in this industry, we get very focused on best practice and what everybody else is doing. But if you're doing best practice, you can't hope to be anything more than mediocre. And so if we innovate, and then it should all be in the name of 
profitability. And so uh, it's shocking how often marketers, we lose sight of the fact that our goal is to generate revenue at the end of the day. If we're not generating revenue, we're not being successful. And on the traditional advertising side, it's easy to get lost in creating art or influencing culture, which is all hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. It's all, it's important. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, that's not great marketing if it influences culture, but doesn't generate a profit. And so having that as our focus for everything that we do is key to great marketing. So there's lots of examples that you can look at where we've got portions of this, either it's very empathetic and innovative, but it's not focused on profit or it's focused on profit and innovation, but it's not empathetic to the audience. So often where marketers go wrong is they're missing one of these three things. And so for us, pushing towards great marketing means starting at empathy, innovating from that empathy, and then focusing on how do we turn a profit from that. Yeah, I wanted to go, let's like work the other way from like profitability, because I think even if the goal is to generate revenue, that means the revenue has to come in sustainably because for the longest, and that's why you say profitability, not revenue, because for the longest time, marketers still could generate revenue, but their CAC payback and their blended CAC were super high and it didn't really, and they didn't even matter unless like net new came in the door. Um, Now we're in a phase where you have to think about how much you spend and how much come like that return on whatever comes out of that, what you're putting in. Um, so I want to go into how do you get people to get into the mindset? Because I think for the last five years, it's been great marketing. It's been like a blue boom of we could spend, everybody had money, everybody got it's been easy. Money. Yeah, it's been easy. But now, going back to the time where it was hard, it was hard 10 years ago to do marketing and now it's going back to being hard to do marketing, but that's why you need all the other pieces that you just said, because profitability matters, but if you're not doing it in an innovative and empathetic way, it's, it's gonna, it won't sustain for 10, 15, 20 years, like best brands do. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. When I, teach marketers about this component. I have them envision a football field, uh, which, you know, you know, football fields, um, on one end of that field, uh, we've got vanity metrics, likes on social, you know, things that are like feel good. And, uh, sometimes marketers love to hide behind. And then on the other end, you have profit, which like you mentioned, it's not revenue. It's like we know cost of goods sold and we know like what kind of profit are, are uh, we're turning. Now, the end goal is to get to the end zone, get to profit. Now, sometimes, uh, especially as an agency, we can't get all the way to profit because, you know, we're not privy to what the cost of goods sold are, what their margins are. But our goal is to take the ball and run it as far down the field as we possibly can um, getting to profit. And what I've found happens when we do that is it gives direction to everything that we're doing. And so there are a hundred different ways to execute a social campaign. But if you have the focus of I'm generating long-term profit for this person, for this client, for this company, then there are very few ways to do that actually. And so uh, it provides direction to the marketers to do that, but it also allows for a better buy-off. 
if you can go to an executive team and say, listen, I want to generate this profit. I know COGS, I know that I need to generate $200,000 of revenue in order to generate $50,000 of profit. So give me, you know, $30,000 and I can produce these results. That's going to be like music to an executive team's ears, especially right now when every dollar is being watched really closely. So you can't forget about the end goal of those efforts. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only thing we need to focus on. Like there are steps that lead to that. But every marketer, in my opinion, like every single person involved in this campaign down to the intern needs to understand what the goal is and that that goal has to be profit and needs to know that like this is we're aiming for this target. If not, it's so easy for us to get lost in the weeds of tactics, uh, to get distracted by shiny things, to feel proud about results that aren't profit. When really all that matters at the end of the day is we need to produce profit for the organization. Otherwise, we don't we can't justify our existence. I think two things that come out of that that I want to touch on is one, I think if you have the constraint of profit, I think most marketers don't take the time to just learn the balance sheet and learn, go to finance and learn what inputs go in to make a profit. And that's one mistake a lot of marketers do. But I also think that if you have a constraint of profit, I think that's also what pushes a lot of innovation because you, you're playing in in. Like using the football analogy, you're playing inside the the line, the sidelines. You're playing in. You know what the sidelines are, and when you have that constraint, you know there's only a certain amount of plays I can run to get that ball down the field. Um, but there, you could do it innovative. You can make do innovation if you know that's the constraint. Um, but the problem with a lot of people is they don't know that constraint, so then they don't they can. And also a lot of times. The best marketing, the CRO would click up when your conference said this, but like it's easier when you have less money to do cool things because you know that money, when you get more and more money, you start doing crazier and crazier things and forget how, what got you to those things. It's like everybody in life, when they start getting richer and richer or make more and more money, they forget that constraint when I was like had my first marketing job and I was living off of top ramen and this and how I was fighting to get that first dollar. That's like the start of marketing. And I think a lot of people didn't have that constraint, so they didn't know how to fight in that constraint. But now the best marketers are learning to fight in the constraint of profitability. And that doesn't mean you can't do innovative things when you, to be profitable. And that doesn't mean that profit should be the only thing not every decision should be made that I need to get a profit, but the end goal should be that blended blended CAC or blended results should end up getting a positive ROI or pro- positive revenue for the business. Yeah, you bring up a, a, a couple of great points. I do think that uh, constriction and boundaries are what breed creativity and the marketers that have to go through this time are going to come out better for it. And so, yes, it's more difficult than it was three years ago, but you're going to learn a lot and um, you're going to sharpen your, your ax uh, a lot during this time. Um, second, I want to clarify this focus on profit. 
it doesn't mean short-term exclusive. So, you know, if we're looking at branding, for example, you shouldn't be making decisions that are branding decisions that are going to say, we're going to run these awareness ads and those are going to convert to leads right away, right? You're going to leave a lot on the table if you're looking at what's going to happen next week or next month with an awareness campaign. However, you should still have at the end of the day, at the end of this year or in two years or whatever your time horizon is, we need to generate a profit. And so I can build awareness one way and I can build it another way. Which one is going to long-term lead to more profit? And so you're going to be much more critical of different tactics that are used to build awareness, knowing what that long-term goal is. Even if it's not going to be the short-term, it's not going to be in your dashboard for this particular campaign. I would argue that no matter what you're doing, the end goal still needs to be profit. You know, as we work at, like at my agency and, and I have someone who leads my marketing, he could build awareness of our agency so many different ways, but I only care about him building it in the way where we're making the right impression with the right audience so that long-term we're going to grow. Um, even if right now I'm not going to hold him to metrics of profit for awareness, at the end of the day, it needs to be the right kind of awareness and focusing on long-term profit is going to help you be more judicious, in my opinion, of how to build that awareness. And so while I agree, you shouldn't it shouldn't be the first and foremost thing for every small decision, long-term, we need to hold that in our minds. I want to also go into the empathy side of it because I think a lot of people understand what empathy is. They understand that they should understand their audience, but what should actually people be doing to be more empathetic is I think the piece that a lot of people are missing. So what, what do you think is the pieces that people should be implementing to be more empathetic to their audience? I think the answer is varied. It's all about getting exposure to your audience. So our brains develop patterns and we identify patterns. Like probably in kindergarten, you had pattern recognition as the thing you were graded on. Like it's just built into us to see these patterns. And so you can't find patterns unless you're given information. David Ogilvy has a great quote where he says um, that great ideas come from the unconscious, but your unconscious has to be well-informed. So stuff your unconscious mind with information and then unhook your rational thought process. In other words, stuff your brain with info and then your brain will chew on it and find patterns and make connections and all your aha moments, all your cool ideas, they happen and they feel like they just come out of nowhere, but really they came because you stuffed your brain with information. So I think it's important to look at information with no goal in mind. It's just, I just want to understand these people. I have no goal yet. I just want to understand who they are. And so how do we do that? Well, there's lots of ways to do that. I, I believe firmly that every single conference that you sponsor, it shouldn't be the sales team at the booth. It should be the marketing team at the booth because there's no better way to understand who your target audience is than to talk to those people over and over again for two or three days straight. So that's that going to conferences, talking to lots of people, conducting phone interviews with customers, potential customers, customers that, you know, if you have a longer sales cycle that were in the buying process and ended up not buying, learning about them. One great tool uh, I'd highly recommend is SparkToro. So SparkToro is produced by Rand Fishkin, 
who founded Moz. And um, what SparkToro does is it connects giant sets of data on lots of different platforms to find insights about different audiences. And so what you can do with SparkToro is you can say, for people that go to this website, I want you to tell me what are the most common podcasts they listen to. Or for people who describe themselves as accountants, tell me what are their most frequented um, news websites. And so you can start to see patterns as you dive in. Now, if you go into SparkToro, it's not going to say, with this audience, you got to do this, bada bing, bada boom, done. Like, no, you need to casually kind of consume information about who these people are. So a great story for this is one that I talk about a lot, Acorns. So Acorns, you can connect them to your bank account and they will uh, round up each of your purchases to the next dollar and then take that spare change and invest it in mutual funds. So you kind of set it and forget it. And then over time, you know, you'll have some extra money invested for you. So they're not targeting, you know, these big flashy investors. They're not going after like Betterment. Betterment is going after people with hundreds of thousands or more. Uh, Acorns is going after for like small net worth individuals who are just like trying to get into investing. And so if you look at SparkToro, you can see that the way people describe themselves who are Betterment, who frequent Betterment's website, they use words like investing, leadership, economy. But if you look at people who visit Acorn's website, they use words like grow, handmade, jewelry. And then you can see what websites, what other websites do they visit? And people who go to Betterment, they're visiting Forbes, they're visiting Inc., these big business websites. But if you go to and see like who Acorn's audience, who they follow, they're going to WordPress, Etsy, YouTube creators. And so you can see these audiences are wildly different. The audience for Betterment, that's your, you know, your high net worth individual, business leader, um, very interested in investing. But if you look at Acorns, those are side hustlers. These are people who want to start their own small business or they want to start start another income stream. They're trying to like bootstrap their life, right? Very different people. But if you look at the content that Acorns is producing, and I haven't looked at this in a, in a while, but their content is like the S&P 500 record year, why, they're, why it's taking off, what this new tax change means for your investment strategy. And then they have a piece of content that's like, how coronaviruses change vacations, which is just like nothing content. It's a content team that's just like, what do we write about? I don't know, coronavirus and vacations. What they should be creating if with that audience is how to monetize your hobby in 60 days. Give us your email address. We'll send you an email every day for 60 days and you do one thing each day. And by the end of that, you'll have now turned your side hustle, your hobby into like a full-on business. Or there's this woman, if you do some research, the number one seller on Etsy is this woman named Kate Ansenberger. Acorn should go to Kate and say, let's collab. Let's do a piece of content. We've got a big audience. You've got an audience and they're the same people. We can create a big guide on how to win on Etsy written by Kate Ansenberger, sponsored by Acorns. Like that would be the perfect piece of content for the audience. But, and probably what's happening is they're not doing this deep empathetic research. And so empathetic, I sometimes I worry about that word because it, it feels very fluffy and we're just trying to be nice to everybody. It's like, that's not what it is. It's about understanding these people more 
deeper than just buyers. So you can understand an Acorns customer as like what's likely to get them to convert? What do they consider an investment product? Like, yes, all that's important, but also like, what are their hobbies? What do they do for fun? I get hit up all the time as the CEO of a marketing agency. And it's people who say, we can generate more leads for you. You want more leads? Like, and why do they do that? Well, because that's what CEOs of agencies have in common is they want more leads. They want more sales. They want to grow. Like, but that doesn't resonate with me at all. They may find that like, Hey, you know what? Most CEOs of marketing agencies grew up in the nineties and they love the band cake, like a huge percentage of them do. So we're going to throw in a concert with the band cake and invite them all out. I would go, I would fly for that. Like I would go see cake and then I would listen to their pitch and I would like, I would probably become a customer. They would get my attention if they understood me as more than just CEO of marketing agency I have other things that in my life that I care about. And there's probably a lot that I have in common with other people that they want to target. So if they could just expand their scope, that I believe is like the kind of empathy that we need more of in marketing. So many people forget that you're competing for the person's attention outside of just what they do and their nine to five. They're like, you like cake, you like hanging out with your family, you like skiing you like x y and z you're driving places like if you can show up in the moments that aren't just where everybody's competing and you know those moments like you said acorns people are into etsy if you can get into advertising with etsy or advertising with those creators on etsy you get to a place where people actually hang out and you and they're like oh these people actually understand me as a person because they're they're showing up naturally in environments that I, I actually do, where I actually hang out instead of what most people do in B2B is I'm just going to go advertise on LinkedIn and do some SEO and maybe run some meta ads and that's about it. But they don't think about all those little touch points that make a whole human. And that's the problem with a lot of B2B. It's, a lot of B2B marketers are competing for the nine to five slot that people are doing, which is LinkedIn. Obviously people are on LinkedIn nine to five, but five to 11, that person's doing so many other things that you can also compete, which are less competitive than most places that you probably are advertising. Um, so you make a good, great point about that. And I think that's empathetic as empathetic as understanding where your people hang out what they feel, how they feel, and staying true to yourself while doing it is the best way to show up. I want to go also into the innovative stuff. So you uh, you start understanding, we, we understand our audience, we understand where they hang out, we understand. So how do we innovate in that constraint of understanding empathy, but also knowing that, hey, we we have to make some money down the line. So how do we we fill the middle of the pie basically? So the trick to innovation, from what I've seen, is if you do enough research, the innovative ideas will be obvious to you. It's like a magic trick with a magic trick or someone's Instagram, like we see the best parts. We see the final result. We don't see all the stuff that happened behind the scenes. And in my opinion, the same thing is true with innovation and genius ideas. 
is we just see the end result. We just see the genius idea. But if we had saw the same data that they saw or the same information they saw, the genius idea isn't that genius. It's obvious what we should do next. And so a great example of this is a client that we have in the, they do document management systems and um, basically like they digitize your documents and you can find it and sort it. And they have all these rules to manage the documents. So perfect for accountants, perfect for people in HR, people for perfect for people who do real estate transactions. They deal with lots and lots of paperwork. So on the surface, it's kind of like a boring space subjectively. So we wanted to target accountants. And when you think of accountants, you kind of have a picture in your head of like Parks and Rec accountant where it's like kind of dry bean counter, you know, whatever. And so that's the lazy part of our brains that are just like jumping to assumptions about who these people are. And so we jumped to assumptions and we said, well, those people would probably like some eBooks on like good document management. And so we made some eBooks and we made some drip campaigns and sent them ads and put them in the drip campaigns. It's like, fine. It was fine. You know what I mean? Like it was, in my opinion, status quo. But then we stopped and we took a step back and we said, do we just make a bunch of assumptions about who these people are? Like, let's get to know them a little bit better. And so we called them, we called their customers, we called people who were accountants and we started just having conversations with them and learning and developing kind of a new mental image about who this person is. And one thing we saw over and over again is that they were frustrated with the paper, like the actual paper and like the fax machine and the printer ink and all that stuff. It was like frustrating to them. And um, there was a conference that was in pro- like uh, coming for accountants, like 2000 accountants would gather and we were going to be at this conference. And so we thought, so now, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of you listening can think of what the great idea is. They hate paper. They hate their fax machine and their copier. We're going to be at a conference, have a physical presence. What could we do? Now, the idea, in my opinion, is kind of obvious at this point. What we did is we created the world's first mobile rage cage. And uh, we put a, a cage in the conference and we filled it with fax machines and printers and scanners and copiers. And then we had them line up and they filled out a form as a waiver. And that form also got them into our hub spot so we could then drip more content on them later. And then we uh, had a camera inside this rage cage and we gave them a bat and a helmet and uh, some protective equipment, and they got to go loose on these copiers and fax machines for a full minute. We filmed it, and then we also said, whoever uh, has the best video gets a thousand bucks. And so we're gonna email you a link to your video. Whoever gets the most likes on your video gets a thousand bucks. And so we turned them into a bunch of promoters that sent their video to all their other accountant friends. And while they were waiting in line, we had our sales reps talking to them and uh, they closed a bunch of deals because of this in, in the actual conference and then post-conference. And they had an absolute blast. It was such a creative campaign that we had news coverage that came out and filmed it. So we were on the local news and had some paper coverage uh, for it. But in my opinion, the best part of this campaign, and by the way, everything was recycled in case you're worried about that. The best part of this campaign was that it taught these accountants that we understand you. We know that you hate this. And so we're giving you a chance to do something you've always wanted to do. 
And if we understand you this much in our marketing, just imagine how well our product understands you. I believe that great marketing should be so good that it could be treated as its own product. They are delighted to consume it as though it was its standalone product. And the goal, like you said, somewhere towards the beginning, is to show them that we understand them at a deep level. And that is what builds long-term brand affinity. And that's what generates long-term profit, not short-term quick rewards. So, and we're not even a, we're not an events marketing agency, but I think the point, the reason I like this story is because, you know, we're people who do SEO and content and, and advertising. But when we saw this kind of overlap of common traits that these people had, we had to go down this pathway and do this thing that would break down some barriers and produce some really amazing results. And so I think that's, again, what great marketing is. It's it's agnostic of discipline. It's agnostic of channel. None of that matters to our audience. What matters to them is, do they understand me? Are they going to get my attention? Is this a brand that I want to affiliate myself with? So the empathy is what leads to innovation. And we we have to be focused on profit. That's great marketing. The best B2B marketing is expertise, which is just showing people that, hey, like our marketing understands you. There's someone behind the marketing who's done what you've done, who understands what you've done. And that's a lot of problem with a lot of marketing too, is a lot of people don't bring on an expert or have a journalist who are good at figuring out and asking the right questions to these people. And their content just comes out as the same as everybody else because it's hard for a content marketer to try to put themselves in the shoes of a plumber that they've never like clogged a toilet. They've never done the grind of that. They've never done all those, those things. But if you have either bring an expert as a plumber, as an influencer and pick their brain or have a journalist go out and in, or if you yourself are good at that to do that, but it's hard for like a first year person to come out and try to write about plumbing and create good content. And, It shows in law and marketing because you just show you don't understand that person, which is the hardest thing to do as a marketer. What is a marketing hill you would die on? (laughs) Something that's funny that I would love to see end would be uh, people saying um, it's calls to action. But so many people say call, call to actions or CTAs. I, it drives me nuts when people say call to actions. Uh, but something more serious would be just, I think marketers should stop focusing so much on tactics and stop siloing themselves into certain channels. I think it's it's a great way to start your career to learn SEO or learn advertising but you should stop. You shouldn't stop there. I think you should keep going and learning about other channels. At, at the very least, maybe you're still going to focus on a single channel. But knowing how the others work allows you to become better at your channel uh, because you can understand certain data sets that they have access to that you don't that can may impact you and help you perform better. But we just get, you know, it's that same skill curve. You know, it's very difficult at the beginning. We learn and then we get comfortable. And then we get stuck there. I'll, one more marketing hill that I'll die on is going to be marketers need to develop business acumen. We are the most underrepresented skill set on boards 
there's some great studies about this, but I think it's like less than 2% or something like that of boards are composed of people that have a marketing background. And why is that? I think it's because we generally, as a group, have underdeveloped business acumen compared to people in finance who are, in my opinion, probably overrepresented on on boards. And so I think we can become more powerful as marketers, more effective and more influential if we can simply just develop our business acumen. I think the reason is because it's easy to put someone on a board who's logical, who can make a decision that if X equals plus Y equals a certain number, the formula works. In logic, you can't fire logic. It's logical. Finance is just inputs and outputs where marketing is a blend of those two. And sometimes it's hard to sell that. And that's why I think you need the logic as a marketer, the business acumen to be able to talk the talk of those people. But then you have the other side where marketers are great at it, which is the creativity. They are the, those two things. And I think a lot of marketers are one side creativity and other marketers are just too data oriented and the ones the best can blend the two and make great marketing understanding both. And I want to also go down the path where you said like understanding one channel. I was talking to this was a while back. She used to be like the head of marketing at um, Tinder, but she was telling me about that. She just goes on like channels that like she, just to understand why, why people use that platform. Like, she went on OnlyFans just to understand why people are on OnlyFans, like not just to go on there. She just went on there just to see why people are using that. Why is this addictive behavior? Why, what are the features that people are using? Just to understand people more. And I think that's your job as a marketer to just deeply understand why people make decisions. And that's why you can't be siloed in channels because you forget about why people use other things and why people are, are why do people use Facebook? Why do people use Instagram? Why do people search on Google? Why do people go on TikTok? Why do people, and they all different reasons and a different emotional thing that they're trying to cure on all these things. And if you understand that, you can understand that person as a whole and be a better marketer. Discord is one that most marketers don't play around in, but there's so many people that use Discord, different Discord servers. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I once went to a marketing conference that was, it was advertising, kind of PPC focused. And I, it was shocking to me. Every single session was focused on ad types and bidding strategies and audience segmentation, all good stuff. But 0% of the time was spent talking about messaging or what the actual ad is saying. Like, you would think that the people who are like buying these ads and scheduling them like are thinking also about the other half of the equation, but it's like they didn't care at all about what the creative was or the message was. It was only about like the technical aspect of advertising. And so I feel like if you are completely ignoring the, that half, then you can't be fantastic marketer, well-rounded. Like you need to know the data, as you said, and the creative, like, like, yeah, I 100% agree. The people who can mix those two worlds, those are the best marketers. Most of those things you talk about right now, which is sad to say, is that 
AI is going to be able to do a lot of those things that you just said is bidding strategy, figure out where to put your money, figure out what people, but they like AI is not going to be as good as understanding the little nuances that your audience have, the human aspects of feeling things. We are the ones who feed AI. That's, that's what people forget that we as humans are the ones who are feeding the AI, that it's not the opposite around us. They're getting the data from us. So that's why you need that creativity, that messaging, that that human instincts in your, your bidding strategy is not just, hey, could I get squeeze the most money out of this channel? It's like, what is the message that we're trying to put in the world for this this bidding strategy that we're trying to do? Where can people find what you're doing, what you're up to, anything like that? Yeah, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. If you search Paxton Gray, I should be the first result. I'm happy to connect with with anybody. Um, you can also see some of our work at 97thfloor.com. And then separate from that, I'm working on some software that focuses on this empathy portion for B2B companies. Basically, if you have calls recorded, our software will take all those calls, transcribe them, segment them, and then find common pain points that each of these segments have. And so then we can wrap those common pain points into advertising targeted to that same segment. So, you know, if you're a CFO at a company this size in this kind of industry, we can know based off of hundreds of phone calls of your customers that they all have this common pain point. And so we can change our advertising and our messaging and our funnel to address that pain point earlier in the sales process and close leads faster. So this software we're still in like beta, but I'm looking for more people to test it out. So if you're in B2B and you record your sales calls, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm looking for more people to test this for free. It's super cool. One of the techniques people say is listen to call recordings, but it's hard as a human to take 320 call recordings, remember what everyone said, diagnose that what they call who was saying and finding common themes and everything on those calls just a hard thing as a human i mean it's good for connecting the dots as a marketer but if you can save 20 hours instead of well and the problem is like listening to calls we often will start to draw false assumptions because our sample size is so small so if you just happen to listen to five calls that say this one thing but that doesn't appear anywhere else in the 500 calls we could run the risk of running down this pathway that is the wrong one uh, and so using AI to analyze all of those in mass has proven to be really helpful as we work in marketing. Like using AI to analyze sales calls is being used across the board for sales, but no one is using it for marketing that I've seen. So yeah, anyway, it's been fascinating to kind of diagnose what is going on. And then we'll also run the same analysis on the site to say like, these seven pain points are being brought up in the sales calls, but you have no marketing materials addressing any of these pain points. And so we can find these gaps to better tighten up that funnel and move them through the funnel faster. Which is what most marketers need. And that's actually just like saves people's jobs too, because a lot of marketers' jobs is figuring out when you do your monthly goals or weekly goals or quarterly goals is, 
hey, what's something new we can do? Or what's some, what are some gaps we have in our funnel? Or I'll come figure those out. So something can help you do that as a marketer. It's super helpful. So that sounds awesome. Totally. Well, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Daniel. It's been, been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.